Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, good morning again. If you came in a few minutes late, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church, and we're really excited that you're here with us to kick off this uh, new series that we're, we're launching today called Revelation. I uh, do want to say one thing real quick. Um, it is Revelation, not Revelations. One revelation, just like it's Walmart, not Walmarts. Just like it's espresso and not expresso, okay? If you want to get punched in the throat real fast, you will tell uh, me or, or some of the people that, uh, that serve here that we're on a, in a study of revelations uh, because that is a pet peeve of ours. You know, there's a lot of speculation about what revelation is about. A lot, of, a lot of people have all kinds of ideas, a lot of movies made, um, a lot of charts developed, uh, a, lot of, a lot of nightmares by some teenage kids have been had because of a, of a teaching or a sermon from the book of Revelation. I uh, don't think that that's going to happen during this series uh, because, because people have all kinds of ideas because there's all kinds of I'll admit it, there's all kinds of crazy imagery and visions and, and, and metaphors and analogies that take place in this, in this writing. It's the last book of the Bible, for those of you who are not uh, really familiar with the writings of the New Testament, it's the one that appears at the very end. It's the last thing uh, when, you're, when you're flipping through the pages of the New Testament, besides the maps. <laughs> um, maps weren't really part of the original document. Anyway, um, you've got seven-headed monsters, and, and people speculate about the end times and when Jesus is coming back. And I'll admit, like I said, there's some crazy stuff. You've got, you know, uh, you've got bowls of wrath. You've got dragons, scrolls. It, it reads like a 1992 teenage uh, manual for Dungeons & Dragons. Y'all are sitting there real quiet like you didn't play. Somebody's wife just now like elbowed you in the side. You used to play Dungeons and Dragons. You know what he's talking about, you weirdo. There's even a point in the book where there's like a prostitute running around riding a dragon. It's crazy. We're not going to dive into that. We're going to stay in the first three chapters of, of the book. But I can, I can summarize the entire book, all 22 chapters in five words. Five words, I can summarize everything that John said in this letter, in this book. And you're sitting there thinking, there's no way. You don't have a, Pastor Josh, you don't have a single chart. You don't have, you know, cords running all around showing us all that. Look, five words. You ready? And I can do this because this is what John does. John summarizes his entire letter to these seven ancient churches in the first five words that he writes. He says this, Revelation chapter 1, first five, first five words of verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, that word from there is a preposition, like we have prepositions in the Greek language. They had prepositions, and the preposition that's used there for the word from can mean from, but it can also mean of and by and 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 about. It's it's a it's a catch-all. So we could really read this and say the revelation from about by Jesus Christ. The entire book, all twenty-two chapters, about Jesus. In other words, this is the way we're going to say it here. The point is Jesus. Jesus 
is the point. If you miss Jesus, you can, you can speculate about all kinds of stuff. Look, the book of Revelation is not primarily a book about the end times. It's not primarily a book about when Jesus is coming back. It's a book about Jesus, revealing to us who would read it and listen to it who Jesus is. Who Je- and if you miss that, like if you read it and you miss Jesus, then you've missed the entire book. Like we didn't even read the same thing. If you come away with it with anything other than a complete adoration and awe of who Jesus is, then you've missed the point of the entire book because Jesus is the point. John says it in the first five words, I am going to reveal to you who Jesus is because Jesus revealed himself to me. It's a revelation by, about, from, concerning Jesus Christ. And the reality is we will never surrender to what Jesus says until we recognize who Jesus is. That's why the first chapter of the of the entire book is all about revealing to us Jesus's identity. John goes into great detail to to show us who Jesus is and when I reflect on my own life and I think back It seems to me that every time I have messed up, every mistake that I've ever made, every time I have have, uh, gone into either some kind of sinful behavior or some kind of sinful thinking or whatever it is, it's because my life was not centered on Jesus. Anytime there's a particular area of my life that seems to be going off course, missing the mark, it's because I failed to recognize Jesus Christ as the center of my life. And that's what John wants us to see. That's what John wants to tell us. Jesus is the point. He is the central. Everything in the book flows from who Jesus is. We will never understand what Jesus wants us to do until we catch a glimpse, until we catch a vision for who Jesus is. And so John writes this book because Jesus has a message for the church. In fact, The book starts off by uh, listing seven particular churches, seven churches that existed in kind of what you and I would think of as modern-day Turkey. There's a real churches that actually existed. But the catch is they're not that different than churches today. We make a lot of, we make a big deal about these, about these churches and try to put them on timelines and this stands for this. Listen, these churches are in 2,000 years, the church has not really changed that much. Technology's changed. The clothes we wear have changed, of course. But what Jesus says to them is just as true to them as it is to us. In fact, we don't look that much different. Let's, let's, let's think about this. In these churches, it's just a random selection at any time in history. We're going to reveal kind of the same thing. There's, in these churches, people are suffering persecution. For their faith. If we look at the world today, we would say, yeah, there are some churches around the world that that are being persecuted because they profess to believe in Jesus. There are churches. Now, this one we don't have anything in common with because there's not a church anywhere in America that, that, that has issues of sexual immorality. Two of the churches struggling with some kind of sexual issue. Churches having, having disagreements about about 
doctrine and teaching and tolerating sketchy teaching. We don't have any sketchy teaching in the church today. You see what I'm saying? It's not that much different. And a lot of times we, we think about the New Testament church, and you'll hear people say, man, what we need to do is we need to get back to the New Testament church. Listen, bro, five of the seven churches get a kick in the pants from Jesus Christ. He says, you suck. <laughs> You're doing this wrong. We want to return. We are the New Testament church. If you took a, if you took a, a random sampling of seven churches in the world, I guarantee you five of them are doing something horribly wrong. And Jesus would kick them right in the seat of the pants and say, straighten up. Not that much different. We're, we're all wrestling with questions. They wrestled with questions. We wrestled with questions. And the fact is, is they're much the same questions. What is God up to? Like, what's God doing? This is a question they're asking. It's a question we're asking. Why, why am I experiencing blank? It's what they were asking those kinds of questions. We ask those kinds of questions. What's God's plan? for the church, for my life, for, for, for the worldwide global movement that follows Jesus. What's his plan? We ask those kinds of questions, and it's the same kind of questions that these churches were wrestling with. But before Jesus dives into any of that, he reveals to them who he is. Why? Because you and I will never understand what Jesus does again until we see who Jesus is. Is And we will never surrender to who he wants us to become until we look squarely at his face and we recognize who he is. Because Jesus' actions, his activity always flows out of his identity. And he wants us to see him for who he is, and then he'll tell us what to do. And so the entire first chapter is all about who Jesus is, and they're all sorts of different things that we could talk about, but I've got today three things that I think that we need to know about who Jesus is. Again, this is not nearly exhaustive. We could spend the rest of the day uh, in this theater, but the people that are coming to watch the Lego movie would really be mad at us. Um, they would not appreciate the sermon happening while they're trying to watch their film, but we could spend all day today and all this next week talking about who Jesus is, but I've got three things that I'm gonna try to share with you over the next few minutes about who Jesus is, with the goal that being when we see who he is, that we would then live in complete submission to him. And so if you're taking notes on the back of your program or, or you've got the version app on your phone and you're taking notes that way, uh, you, can, you can follow along. Um, who Jesus is, the first thing I want you to share, first thing I want you to write down on the back of your program if you're taking notes. Again, if you're not taking notes, then you're probably not going to make it um, because it's like, you know, you have a 57% chance of actually making it in the world if you're a note taker. Um, I don't know where that came from. Let's just jump in the first point. Jesus is faithful. This is the first thing I want us to look at when, as Jesus is revealing himself to us in this first chapter, the first thing that I think uh, really just want us to grapple with and look at today is that Jesus is faithful. Let me ask you a question. It's February, second Sunday in February. How many of you, by raising your hands, you're, you're going to confess and admit to this. How many of you have ever gone on a diet in your life? Just raise your hand. Come on, it's, it's cool to admit it. We've all done it. Okay, keep your hands up. Hold on, keep your hands up. This is group participation. I've gone on a diet. Leave your hands up if you've quit that diet within a week. Look around. All right, all right, keep your hands up. Hold on, this is going to get real fun because this is fun. How many of you quit the same day? 
Like I started the morning and I just, I couldn't make it through the rest of the day. It's, it's February and some of you signed up for, for a Y membership and you haven't been. Honest truth, my wife and I, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, we signed up and we became Y members and in three months, I never made it once. I would think about it the night before. I would put my shoes on or like lay my shoes out, get my workout clothes ready. I never made it. Never made it for months. I paid for this membership that I never made it because there's just something about being human that we have the tendency to quit on stuff. You know, we oftentimes we are faithless when we ought to be faithful. Uh, we, we quit, we, we start something and we don't finish. I'm going to do this and we get real excited and we buy workout DVDs and we get the little armbands and special gadgets and apps for our iPhone and we never follow through. But the reality is, is that Jesus is not like that. Jesus is faithful. And for some of you, your God story is a story of quitting. And you're here today and, and, and you're, you're thinking, you know, there was a time in my life when I was closer to God than I am right now. I've, I've quit, you know, some form or, or fashion. I, I was faithless. I, I walked away from a God who didn't want me to walk away from him. And maybe today you're wondering, you know, would he even take me back? Would he even give me a second chance or a third chance or for some of you a fifth chance? Would he, would he even welcome me back? Would he, would he even receive me? Well, let's take a look at who he is. Let's take a look at who he is. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Look at what John is writing, and as he describes Jesus to us, look at how he describes him. He says, verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. And he's like, all right, now I'm going to describe to you who Jesus is. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness? He's faithful. He's he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of the king's of the earth. John says, listen, listen, right at the beginning, I want to tell you something about who he is. He's faithful. He's faithful. And you know what? His faithfulness is not dependent upon your faithfulness to him. His faithfulness is dependent upon his faithfulness to us. Like it's just dependent upon who he is. It's not dependent upon your performance. It's not dependent upon how, how, how close you get to the bullseye of life. It's because he's Faithful. And look at how he goes on. Look at what John goes on to describe Jesus as. He says, he says, to him who loves us, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus, Jesus, John says, loves us. That word loves, you don't have to be like an English scholar. That's a present tense verb which means that it's a continual love. It's a love that goes on, and it's like the song that never ends. It just keeps going on and on and on, my friend. It is the song that never ends. Some of you are going to hate me for that. It gets stuck in your head. Well, he started singing it one time and never stopped. Love that, that just goes on and on and on. And you can't stop it. 
because you didn't start it. And you can't make it in because you weren't the one who initiated it. It's he loves us. He, listen, there's some of you, I just wanna tell you today, he loves you. Today, I love it because it's not he loved us at some time in the past, but we're not really sure if he loves us right now. It's not, you know, well, he will love us at some time in the future. No, no, no. You read this passage today to him who loves us. You read this passage tomorrow to him who loves us. It's present tense. It's right now. He loves you just the way you are right now in your situation, your mess, your your, your screw-ups, your mess-ups, all the ways that you get it wrong. He loves you. And I love what he says. He, He says, to him who loves us and has freed us. Now he changes verb tenses. He goes from a present tense love to a past tense freedom. He loves us right now. And at some point in the past, he initiated our freedom. Is how John is describing Jesus. You see what I'm saying? He loves us in the present. And in the past, he did something to free us. And he he tells us what it is. He says he freed us by his blood. John, John wants us to know that what happened on the cross of Christ was a past event. You can't change it. You can't rewind time and, and, and prevent Jesus from dying for you. You can't, you can't eliminate his action because he did it in the past. And it's an expression of the love that he has for you right now. He's faithful. He, 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 he loves you. you know, so many of us, we're, we're, we're convinced that, that if, if people really knew us, then they probably wouldn't love us. You know, some of us struggle with insecurity and issues about our past and our, our, our present circumstances and situations or our personality. You know, I'm just not lovable. The, the reality is Jesus says, I know everything about you. I know every stupid thing that you've ever done in your life. I know every dumb decision that you're going to make. And you know what? I freed you. Can't change it. And I love you right now. You can't stop it. It's a love that just goes on and on. And not only that, look at what he says in in, in verse 6. Not only does he love us, not only has he already freed us by his blood, but but he says in verse 6, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Not only does he love you right now, not only has 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 he already purchased your freedom from sin in the past, but he wants to make you into something greater than you are right now. He's got a future for you. You're not bound to the decisions that you made yesterday. There's freedom that you can experience. You can experience a transformation that will take you from someone who is far from God to in the kingdom, in the family, part of the the community of, of God serving the Father. Why? Why? Why does he do this? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. He doesn't give up on us. Can, can you come back to him? Can, would he welcome you back home? Would he receive you back in the family? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because he's faithful. You're, you're not waiting on God, friend. God is, 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 is waiting on you to, to, to respond to his grace. He's, he's already initiated it. And not only that, he's already given you the, the grace to, to come back home. I have this thing that I do with my, my oldest son. 
have two sons and a daughter. Lex, he's seven. Cole's four. Ava's uh, eight, nine months, something like that. You know, sleepless nights, you just lose track. I'm lucky that I got the years right. Um, <laughs> so I do this thing with Lex, and I've shared it before, but the other week I, I kind of changed it up a little bit. I, I do this thing periodically when I'm taking him to school. I'll say, Lex, who are you? Who, who are me and you? Who, who are we? And his response that he's, he's learned is that we are best buddies. And so he'll say, we're best buddies. I'm like, that's right. And I said, how long are we going to be best buddies? And he says, forever, because I want him to be confident and sure of our relationship. No questions, no doubting, no wondering. Who are we? We're best buddies. How, how long are we going to be best buddies? Forever. Lex, who can stop us from being best buddies? And he'll say, nobody. And we'll kind of like, you know, chest bump and elbow. And, well, we were driving to school the other, the other day, just this past week, and I, I changed it up on him. I asked him the three questions, and he responded, and I said, I said, Lex, um, do you know why we're best buddies? And he kind of, I can see him kind of pondering it in the back seat. He's kind of looking up at the ceiling of the van, kind of trying to come up with an answer, and he says, kind of in a question, he says, because you love me? I said, yeah, that's right. We're best buddies because I love you. I said, Lex, do you know why I love you? and why that's never going to change. And I can see him. He's kind of eyeballing me in the rearview mirror, and we're trying to make, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have this moment, and, and it's cool. And, and he says, no, I don't. He said, I, I, I don't. And I said, well, I love you because you're my son. I love you because you're mine. And there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you just because of who you are, just because you are my boy. I said, I said, so Lex, do you know why now daddy will never stop loving you? And I promise you, he looked at square, the best we could make eye contact in that little tiny rearview mirror. We made eye contact and he said, because I'll never stop being your son. Friend, I, I want to I tell you, God wants you to know right now, he'll never stop loving you. He will never stop loving you. And the reason is not because of your performance, not because of how good you measure up on some kind of standard, but simply because you're his son or his daughter. He'll never stop loving you because of who and whose you are. And you may, you may have turned your back on him. You may have walked into this place, never have, have darkened the, 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 the entrance to a church before. You are his. He created you and he formed your being. And he loves you because you're his son. You're his daughter. And that's never going to change because he's faithful. He's faithful. Number two. Number two. Jesus, all of these start with Jesus is. Jesus is with the church. Jesus is with the church. I am, I, I have this habit of, of watching people. Anybody else? Anybody other, any other people watchers? Like I just love to sit in the mall and watch random people, right? People do weird things when they're not aware you're watching them. Some of you do weird things in your house because nobody's watching you. You sing in the shower. You, you dance like Tom Cruise in Risky Business. I don't know what you do in the privacy of your own home because I'm not a stalker. I'm not peeping through your windows yet. Um, anyway, I'm not doing that. Lord, Lord, make any crazy ideas. Um, but, but I will at times in public space watch people. 
And I was walking out of the bank the other day, um, and I saw a guy in a pickup truck. No offense if you're a pickup truck driver. I grew up driving a pickup truck. Uh, no offense. But, but my friend, my, my man in the, in the pickup truck, he evidently had something lodged in his nose. True story, true story, absolute. And it must have been lodged because he felt the necessity to go knuckle deep to get this thing out. I didn't know what he was going to do with it when he got it out. I didn't know if he was going to wipe it on his dashboard, ball it up and flick it at somebody. I didn't know. But I'm mesmerized watching him because it's like he's digging for gold. Chances are there's no way he would have done that had he known I'm staring at him, gawking from my, from my driver's seat, just watching how long is this going to take place. He's not going to do that. He's not, he's not going to do that if he knew I was watching. He knew that he wasn't actually alone. What, what does that have to do with anything? I'm not really sure. I just felt the need to share that with you. But I do know, I do know that we show up at church sometimes. For those of you who would consider yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we show up at church sometimes completely unaware that the presence of Jesus is here. He's here. He's, he's here. Right now, today, walking up and down the aisles, his, his spirit, his presence, the very activity of the Holy Spirit is among us. He's with us. We oftentimes live our lives the exact same way, completely unaware that Jesus is with us. And I'm not talking about like unchurched people, non-church people. We fuss so stinking much about non-church people living like non-church people that, that the reality is if churched people would live like church people, then maybe non-church people would see a life on fire for Christ and be attracted to it and give their life to Jesus. But anyway, enough on that soapbox. I'm not fussing about that. I'm, I'm fussing about, about those of us who call the name of Jesus. We live sometimes in such a way that we're completely unaware that he is with us. Look at how John describes Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Look at, look at how this, this description of who Jesus is. I turned around, verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Later on in verse 20, Jesus himself will tell us that the seven golden lampstands stand for the seven churches. Okay, so kind of go ahead and give you that clue if you want to look, verse 20. Verse 13, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Where, where is Jesus? He's among the lampstands. He's among the churches. Look at, look at how John goes on to describe it. He says, this son of man, he's, he's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. He's got a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes, I love this description of his eyes. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Some of you, you read that and you're trying to picture what that looks like. Don't try to picture it. 
for what it says. Try to picture it for what it means. He's not talking like Jesus didn't have a real sword come out of his mouth. But when you write a love letter to your wife or you you might say your neck is as graceful as a swan. It doesn't mean she's got some weird long swan neck. You know what I'm saying? Think about it that way when you read this, okay? He's describing this, and the only way he can describe it is like he's got fire. He doesn't have like campfires in his eyes. He's got fire in his eyes. He's he's describing Jesus, and it's like like John wants us to know that Jesus wants us to know that I know that times are strange, and I know that life is difficult, and sometimes it gets hard. The world seems like it's going crazy around you, but I need you to know I'm with you. We're so quick to think that Jesus has abandoned the church. We get so critical of the church, the bride of Christ, and we get so so offended at things that the church has done, and the church has done some awful things. But when we look for Jesus, we see him among the lampstands. He's, He's with the church. He has not abandoned her. No matter how off course she's gotten throughout history, no matter how messed up she has, she has lived in the world, he is not absent. When we look for Jesus, we see him among the church, among the lampstands. In fact, just to, this isn't part of the notes, just to pick out two ways that John describes Jesus when he sees him. He says, he says he's got fire in his eyes. Have you ever used that expression when you're talking about somebody? It's like, man, she had fire in her eyes. What did, like I said, it didn't mean this fire. It's talking about passion, you know? If I, if I look at you and I say, you know, you're looking at me like you got fire in your eyes, it means you've got some kind of burning desire. And I can see it in your eyes when I look at you. I can see the passion boiling and bubbling up inside of you. Passion from Jesus that will burn away all the shams and hypocrisies that the church does. Got fire in his eyes. Everything that Jesus did was because he was passionate about his father and he was passionate about people. He's got fire in his eyes. He, you, do you remember the story? If you, if you you know, or a Bible reader, you may remember the story when Jesus goes into the temple near the end of his, of his earthly life. He goes into the temple, makes a whip, and goes UFC on people. Starts turning tables over, whipping people, and he just, why? And Jesus it, it even describes it. He says, because the zeal of your house consumes me. He's got fire in his eyes. He's passionate. When Jesus walks on water, scholars tell us that, that he probably walked two and a half miles on top of the water through a storm just to get to some people in a boat. Why? Because he's passionate about people. He's passionate about his father. He's passionate about the mission that his father has given him. And I just think that if we're going to follow a man who's got fire in his eyes, then we ought to have fire in our hearts too. And you tell somebody that, and you're like, man, I think we ought to be passionate followers. They come with the response, well, I'm just not a passionate person. You're a liar. (laughs) I've watched a football game with you, bro. Your quarterback hands it off to the running back. He falls forward and leans forward and gets a first down, and you go nuts. You're a passionate guy. And ladies, don't think you get off the hook because I've been at the school play with your kid. Your kid had one line. They kind of messed it up. But when they said it, it was like paparazzi going off in the school cafeteria. You had 17 camcorders and, and, and cameras lined up, and it was just snapping all over the place. We're, as, we're passionate people. 
passionate about the things that our hearts are connected to. And when we look at Jesus, he's got fire in his eyes and he's standing among the churches. He's passionate for the church. And and not only that, I I love the the description of Jesus as having a voice with the sound of rushing waters. It tells me that his voice is unmistakably clear. You can't, you don't mistake. Other parts of scripture say that the sheep know his voice and they, they respond. Jesus Not only is he passionate about you, but he wants to speak to you. Jesus, I believe Jesus has a word for you. I take great comfort in this this thought. Jesus is here. Jesus is passionate for me. And Jesus wants to speak to me. I take great comfort in that. And I know sometimes we come to church, we get so distracted. Look, I've got kids. If your kids are going to have a meltdown, it's probably going to happen on Sunday morning. Right? If you're, you and your wife or you and your husband are getting a fight, it's probably going to be on the way to church so that we can walk in distracted and unaware of the presence of Jesus. But, but I've, I've been there too. I know, but I just, want us to, I just want us to try to focus in on the reality that Jesus is here with us today, right now. And when there's no anticipation of his presence, there's oftentimes no revelation of his being. A lot of times we come into church and we wonder, why wasn't Jesus there? Maybe, maybe he was there and we just weren't anticipating. Maybe, maybe we were so distracted that we didn't even recognize that he's always here. Number three. Number three, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. Look at how John describes him in verse 17 and 18. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You ever felt like your world was just spinning out of control? You ever look at the world and just think, man, what's going on? It just seems like the world has lost its mind. Or maybe you've looked at a part of your world, an area. Maybe it feels like your finances are just spiraling out of control or your marriage is just holding on by by strings and, and it seems like everything is out of control. Maybe you, you go into work and you feel like work is just crazy. It's just spiraling out of It's not ridiculous to feel like there is an invisible tyrant stalking our lives. (laughs) Not crazy. You're not insane to feel that way. And oftentimes this invisible force will lie to us and say, I've got control. I've got the keys. But when John describes Jesus, he says, I want you to know something about Jesus. He was dead and he's alive and he holds The keys, whoever holds the keys has the power to unlock and to lock whatever needs to be locked or unlocked. John wants us to know Jesus has the keys. He's in control. And if he conquered death, what can't he defeat? If he conquered death, there's not a marital issue. There's not a forgiveness problem. There's not a job difficulty. There's not a financial situation. There's not a relational uh, rift that he can't defeat. Because he 
holds the keys. So Jesus would say to us this morning, whatever you've lost, whoever you've lost, what, whatever bits and pieces of your life are locked away because of sorrow and shame, Jesus would tell you this morning, I've got the keys. I hold the power of life and death. Nothing happens without me seeing it. Jesus is in control. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is with the church. And Jesus, no matter how it feels, no matter what your emotions are telling you, no matter what your situation is telling you, you may have gotten bad news this week, you may have gotten good news this week, Jesus is in control. Let me pray for you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.